Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Where do I even begin with Week 9 in the NFL? I think that was the best week of football that we've seen so far. Definitely the wildest week of football that we've seen so far. We got Josh Dobbs uh, turning up to Minnesota on short notice and getting a very improbable win for the second time this year with his second team. Uh, we have the Browns, former Josh Dobbs team, facing off against another former Josh Dobbs team in the Cardinals, uh, who ran 48 plays and got 58 total yards. Didn't even think that was possible, but that just happened. Uh, the Raiders bounced back, and clearly that locker room absolutely despised Josh McDaniels because it looks like a party every time I see a video coming out of that building right now. Uh, the Rams look helpless without Stafford. Bryce Young struggled again. The Giants are a dumpster fire. A lot happened this week, EJ. And yet everything that I just listed off didn't even make the show for the full breakdown. We have five really interesting games that we're going to go through. Uh, and they were the five that, honestly, we previewed going into the week. It's the first time that that we kind of nailed all five uh, ideal games. So we're, we're going to spend a lot of time breaking down uh, Dolphins, Chiefs, Seahawks, Ravens, Buccaneers, Texans, Cowboys, Eagles, and of course, Bills, Bengals. But before we do all that, EJ, how you feeling? It's amazing that all that stuff is the other stuff. That's, yeah. what's, <laughs> that's what's left on the cutting room floor after week nine. We thought this was going to be one of the best weeks of football the NFL has given us this year, and it lived up to it for, for the first time. As you said, we previewed all these games. We I don't think we've hit on five out of five quite yet. There's always been something interesting that turned up or something we thought was interesting that just didn't pan out. This week delivered all of that stuff and all the stuff we're going to talk about, and it was all great. We're going to start off in Germany naturally, with the first game of the day yesterday. We're recording this uh, mid-morning-ish on Monday. Uh, first game yesterday was Dolphins-Chiefs. And I would say it went both predictably and unpredictability, uh, unpredictably at the same time. In the sense that we predicted that uh, you know the Chiefs defense is, is really good and, and they were going to play a bunch of man coverage and, you know, they were going to try to disrupt these Dolphins uh, receivers with a bunch of press. Uh, you know, Spags was going to run some creative blitzes. Uh, we also predicted on the offensive side of things, like, um, 
you know, hey, they they're they're really struggling to figure out who they actually like in their receiving core. We really want to see them get Rasheed Rice more involved, but they seem to refuse to throw to him down the field. That also, again, was an issue. Uh, you know, overall, it was a it was a very defensive oriented game. What we didn't predict, uh, I would say, was just how how sloppy the Dolphins are. Um, you know, it feels like they kind of bounce back and forth between being a, a finely tuned machine and a team that just straight up can't get out of their own way. And, and I want to kind of thread the needle here between saying, ah, it's it's all penalties and, it, you know, uh, just bad luck on the part of Miami. Like, it, it wasn't, it was more so Dolphins beating themselves. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Like, the Chiefs absolutely beat the Dolphins. I'm not trying to make excuses here. What I am saying is that when the Dolphins get themselves off schedule through penalties or through uh, negative plays or anything like that, you know, taking a bad sack, boy, they struggle to crawl out of that hole. And I, I, I'm going to try to figure out as the season goes on why that is. But, uh, you know, somebody on Twitter made the comparison of like a finely tuned Ferrari. Like you get a, you get a single grain of sand in the engine and it all falls apart. Like that's kind of what they are. Like when it works, it's phenomenal, but just a little bit of an obstacle in front of them, and they they kind of fold. And I I really don't know why that is yet. It's odd. And I made that comparison earlier this year that they are one of those high performance, finely tuned sports cars that has a very narrow window of working super duper well. And you get the road a little bit bumpy, you get the gas a little bit old, and all of a sudden it starts sputtering. And they definitely sputtered in Germany. Part of the reason was Spags pitched an absolute beauty. <laughs> like Steve Spagnolo, uh, this is his return to Germany. He was the defensive coordinator and linebacker coach of the Frankfurt Galaxy way back in 1998. So he is familiar. This is a sort of return home for him. And he put together one of his best games of the year, maybe one of his best games of the career. He held a team that was among the league leaders in scoring to 14 points in the third quarter and nothing else. Miami came into this scoring 33, almost 34 points a game and passing for 300 versus bags in Germany, 14 total points and 175 passing yards. He was brilliant. He had his finger on the pulse of his defense and what the Dolphins would do against it and created a lot of negative opportunities, if you want to call them that, or explosive defensive plays for the Chiefs that really helped them out in this one. Um, we'll talk about the Chiefs' offense in a bit, but I just want to lead off with Spagnuolo calling an absolute gem against Mike McDaniel, who has been, I would say, properly lauded as one of the great offensive minds currently working in the NFL. Like, he shut him down, and it was impressive to see. There was a, a couple little things that I noticed Spags do from a schematic perspective that really intrigued me, and I kind of do more work on it. Like I did, it was probably like 11, 11.30 last night, and I was kind of going through it um, after the Sunday night game because I noticed a little pattern in a lot of the pressures they were calling were coming from Tua's left. Remember, he's a left-handed quarterback. Yep. And like even uh, the defensive ends to Tua's right, a lot of the times were kind of like spiking inside and trying to intentionally flush Tua out to his right. 
I was like, why are they doing that? Like, what, what, what's the goal of getting Tua to run to his right? So I went back and I looked at every single throw last night because you know, we were able to generate a little playlist. Every single throw that was either a designed roll to the right, a scramble to the right, like anything that got him out of the pocket moving to his right. Let me, let me speed run through every single throw of the season. He had like nine, like nine the entire year. Uh, they, they don't move to a, to his right on purpose. Um, and even then on like half the throws to his right, it wasn't him like throwing on the move, like opening his shoulders, everything like that. It was stopping, resetting the feet and then doing it. I was like, Oh, Oh, they don't think that he can throw on the move to his right. So they were intentionally calling blitzes to, to his left and trying to force him to move because they think that he's just going to slide and go down. That actually happened a couple times against New England this year where he's moving to his right. And then he just, he didn't feel like he had time to reset his feet and didn't want to do the throw on the move. So he just slid. And I was like, that's, that's nifty. They, they figured out through the lack of play calls in terms of intentionally doing that, that he doesn't like doing it. Um, and then beyond that, there was one of the blitzes they called to to, to his left where uh, it was a, it was a corner coming off the boundary. And it was a four week, so four four rushers from the weak side, uh, from the boundary side, on the opposite side of when they were running uh, Tyreek on that little motion at the snap where he kind of like runs the rail that converts into a dig. And uh, you know, obviously you're you're overloading uh, the left tackle there. He has to choose the inside threat, so corners coming off the edge full speed he's going to get there in two seconds and even even with receivers open i thought that was a really unique adjustment by spags because his mentality is like hey if two is on the ground before you can read it out anyway who cares if they're open like who cares if we're given a bunch of space to react to the motion like if two is sacked like doesn't matter you know and so they they kind of showed pressure coming from the trip side and then brought four week from the other side because Cause like, that's, that's how they stop the play is like, we're not going to try to cover it. We're just going to, we're going to hit you before you can throw it. So Spags, um, really, really brilliant game plan. And I'm, I'm going to be paying attention to that going forward of like teams intentionally trying to flush Tua to his right. Cause if that's a thing, it could be a really big thing, uh, as we, as we go forward in the AFC. Time was key to Spags's game plan and you could see it several times throughout the game where he would have holes, but he knew the hole wasn't going to develop before 1.9 seconds. And one of his guys was going to be into his grill in 1.9 seconds. And Mm -hmm. that was the very calculated gamble. He took several times throughout the game, willingly knowingly saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this, but I'm going to be on you in two seconds. So I don't really care that there's a hole right here because I don't think you can hit it in sub two seconds. 2.1, 2.2, 2.4, you know, we're in trouble. If I get there at like two flat, we win. And they did. On the other side of the ball, um, again, Chiefs Chiefs offense, we talked about it last week of like, they got to figure out the receiver position. Like they have guys, maybe not like a lot of them, but like they have guys that clearly have some talent. Um, Rasheed Rice is the the one that, that comes to mind in terms of, the one with the most juice, but they are not giving him any opportunities more than five yards down the field. Like 70% of his yardage coming into this game was after the catch. And then of course, when he gets the touchdown, it's 
all after the catch. Um, I, I, at some point, this is going to be a real problem. It hasn't been a real problem for them yet because their defense is phenomenal. It might be the best defense in the league outside of Cleveland. Um, and, you know, in several games this year, they've been able to rely on Travis just being Travis or Mahomes' legs or, you know, the odd Pacheco game here and there. Like, they've been able to make it work as this, you know, plucky ball control defensive team that happens to have the best quarterback in the league. But, like, this is this is going to come back and bite them when they're going up against you know Cincy in the playoffs when they're going up against Baltimore in the playoffs they have to get explosive plays down the field and at this point I really question if that's even on the table for them I truly don't know they don't seem to want to open the playbook for Rasheed Rice and the playbook is a really interesting point when we're talking about Kansas City's offense Matt Nagy called plays in the first half he had the play sheet in his hand he was calling plays after the half. Andy Reed was calling plays. He had the play sheet. He was calling plays. Didn't make a ton of difference, but they don't, they still haven't found that thing other than Travis. And on the flip side, Vic Bangio was awesome in this one as well. He held Travis in check the entire game three for 14. That's something nobody else has been able to do to that level all season. That is the lowest result of the year for Travis Kelsey. And as such, the chiefs offense couldn't kick over, couldn't get going because he is the spark. He is the alpha receiver in that offense. And they're not willing to pivot to expand for whatever reason, Rasheed Rice's role. And because of that, they tripped over their own feet in this one. Mahomes was good enough. He was 20 of 30, 185, two TDs no interceptions. It was good enough to win, but you're right. When they come up against somebody that tries to boat race them, even against their very good defense and has the offensive pieces to do it, it's going to be all on Patrick. And he's shown that he can rise to that before. We said it before this week that, you know, they don't lose two in a row hardly ever with him and they still didn't, but it's coming. You can feel it because they, they got Pacheco back involved a little bit. He was able to sort of be the glue guy and move him along. But when they needed big chunks, when they needed to stretch the defense, they couldn't do it. Um, Fangio forced Mahomes to go to every corner of this offense. No receiver had more than three completions and nine guys caught a ball. And Pat showed he could do it, but where were the big ones? And they weren't there. And that lacking is like, deafening in its silence right Nagy calling the first half Reed calling the second half going all over the offense you still can't find them you still can't sort of pop the balloon and you were good enough to win against one of the very best teams in the NFL but not the best team in the NFL and there are a couple other offenses out there right now rolling along that if they run into them either Spags is going to have to have another like brilliant brilliant day or they're going to come up short. Yeah, I mean, the difference in the game was the McDuffie fumble on Tyreek. You know, like, get, both offenses scored the same number of points. <laughs> like, that's that's just the reality of the situation. So, Chiefs got to get it fixed. Like, they're, you know, on top of the AFC for now, but, like, they have to get that fixed. And Dolphins, um, you know, they're still on top of the AFC East. They're still probably going to win the division. Well, I shouldn't say probably. They have a good shot of winning the division depending on whether or not Buffalo can 
get itself together over the back half of the year and we will get to the bills believe me we will get to the bills i appreciate you trying to keep us monetized for this episode oh god they frustrate me so much but that that'll be the last game we talk about today uh the second game we talk about today is a team that if the chiefs had to go up against them this week i i would not have any faith in their ability to win against them and that is the baltimore ravens who might be, not even might be, I think they are the best team in the NFL right now. One quick note, and then we'll get right back to the show. We're about a month away from the best football holiday of the year, Thanksgiving, and it's never too early to plan on how you're going to do your turkey. It's possible even that some of you listening have never done a whole turkey before, and that's totally okay. But if you want some inspiration and guidance for how to do a turkey the right way, our friends over at ButcherBox can help you out with that. They do have whole turkeys available for order, as well as a recipe page dedicated to how to do a great apple cider brine for the turkey, as well as how to roast it to perfection. So whether you're a turkey making veteran or this is your first time ever, it's going to come out great. And ButcherBox, of course, has recipes for every other cut of meat that they offer as well. All of their beef is 100% grass fed. They have free range chicken and turkey, obviously, wild caught seafood and pork that's raised crate free. Whatever cut of meat you can think of, they have it available to deliver right to your door in either custom or curated boxes. And if you do want to get one of those whole turkeys that I mentioned earlier for free, by the way, if you order anything from ButcherBox and use our promo code BOOTLEG to get literally any order before November 12th, you will also get an entire 10 to 14 pound turkey for free with that first box, plus $20 off your first order as well. Again, that is an entire Thanksgiving turkey for free, plus a $20 discount on the price of that first box, just by using promo code BOOTLEG at butcherbox.com bootleg. Thank you again to ButcherBox for sponsoring today's show, and with that, let's get back to it. Um, they are a team who, even when they shoot themselves in the foot with fumbles, which feels like they fumble for fun, uh, you know, every single week, like they they're just kind of you know, making it harder for themselves on purpose just to see if they can do it. Uh, even when they do that and they they give teams extra possessions or they fumble away their own red zone possessions or they give teams shorts fields, they're still just blowing them out. Like they haven't even played a perfect game and they're blowing teams out. They demolish the Lions. They demolish the Seahawks, who are going to be two playoff teams in the NFC. You know, uh, once upon a time, they demolished the Browns who like, we mentioned just held an NFL team full of NFL players to 58 yards on 48 plays. And the Ravens just blasted them too. They are not flawless as we've seen, uh, you know, in the Steelers game uh, where they lost that one because of all the drops and, you know, they've, they, they lost to the, uh, I think it was the Colts this year, right? The, the Gardner Minshew led Colts this year. Like they're not a flawless team. But in terms of how they're playing right now in the last three weeks and considering that they went four and one during the stretch they just got out of where they had four road games in five weeks and they went four and one. They played in five different time zones. I really don't think this team has a weakness. Like I really do think they are the best team in the NFL and they still haven't played their best game and they're still the best team in the NFL. They're a frightening uh, problem for anybody to deal with, 
the fact that Lamar can go nuclear with his arm at any point in time and they ran for almost 300 yards and their pass rush is insane and their red zone defense is great. Find me a, a, a problem that they have to deal with on the same level as any of these other top AFC teams. Like, I don't think they have a huge problem. Again, not a flawless team, but pretty damn close. If you're talking about a snapshot, and we are right now, we're talking about week to week, what have you done for me lately in this league? If you're talking about a snapshot of all the teams in the NFL right now, it's the Ravens, the Bengals, and the Eagles. And those are all teams that we're going to talk about in this preview. And they feel similar. We've said very similar things about the Eagles all year. They're good enough to beat their opponents. They still haven't played their best game, but they're still winning football games in usually pretty resounding fashion. The Bengals in the last three weeks, we'll talk about it, but they beat the Hawks, the Niners, and the Bills pretty solidly. Those three teams right now, if you're just taking the snapshot of the last week, two weeks, are peaking and playing their very best football. We talked about it in the preview episode that this game was going to be a measuring stick for both teams, for Baltimore and for the Hawks, and that we'd know more coming out. It was a resounding confirmation that the Ravens are one of the very best teams in the NFL. The Seahawks are still a very good team, but they ran into a team that is a lot better than them right now, and they got pounded. They didn't get beat a little bit or squeak one out. Like They got thrashed. You know, Gino threw for 157. K Walk rushed for 16. Like Mike McDonald just held serve and didn't let it go. Um, 28 total rushing yards, 3.2 per play, forced seven punts, four sacks, an interception. <laughs> Baltimore, this is the one that kills me, literally doubled Seattle's time of possession. 40, <laughs> 40 minutes, four seconds to 19 minutes, 56 seconds. Like as a result of that. And then on top of that, their offense, you talked about it. Lamar was efficient, 21 of 26, no picks. And Keaton Mitchell, one of my pre-draft darlings, had his coming out party. He was all about explosion. That was his sort of trump card in the draft. He had more explosive plays than anybody in the class. He had 55 of them. He had the highest explosive rate, play rate per attempt, 30.7, meaning one out of basically every three plays was an explosive play in his college career, which is bananas. He was 10 percentage points higher than the next closest guy in the class. So I've been waiting, and this is how running backs go. They, you know, UDFAs, they sit on the practice squad. They're the third guy. A bunch of injuries happen, and then they have one of these weeks. And this was one of those weeks, make no mistake. It's not a flash in the pan. Nine for 138 with a 15.3-yard average rushing. Now, the Hawks are not a great running defense, but they're not a terrible running defense. And Keaton Mitchell absolutely shredded them. So I'm with you. One of the most balanced teams, Todd Monken, seems to have solved the age-old problem of the Ravens can't throw, they can only run. Mike McDonald has solved every problem on defense. Like, there is nothing the Ravens can't handle on defense right now. And that combination of coaching talent and playing talent puts them at the absolute top shelf of the NFL right now. Uh, I I want to start with the Ravens defense um, because naturally, like they're the star of the show to me, like even even with Lamar and even with, you know, the run game and we love Zay and Andrews is great and all that. Like even with that, like the star of the Ravens is is Mike McDonald. 
he held a very explosive uh, Seahawks offense, or at least potentially explosive. We we still have had several games where we're like, okay, what what are we doing here? But like, th- this is still Geno Smith and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, and it, like, there's still weapons there, and there's still a lot of talent there. He held that group to one of twelve on third down, and they didn't convert a single third down longer than four yards. So. It was a dominant, dominant performance by the pass rush. Um, it was a dominant performance by the DBs. Like I and I watched every single third down. I was like, "There's nobody open, ever." You know, the pocket is collapsing instantly every single time. Like Gino doesn't have time to throw, and he doesn't have anybody to throw to. You know, they 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 finally got JSN involved uh, down the field late in the game, which is something we've been asking for. Of like, oh my god, they can throw him fades, but like at that point, you know, you're down by. 30 like who cares yeah. you know it, it was just a, a ridiculous ridiculous performance uh by the ravens defense that i think will get kind of overshadowed a little bit by what cleveland did to arizona but let's be honest the seahawks offense is a lot better than the group that arizona's trotting out this week so i consider it more <laughs> impressive that they did that to a hundred million dollar quarterback and two great receivers three great receivers actually um it was just a, it was an amazing day and it's almost become par for the course. So I think it's the best defense um, in the league behind, uh, behind Cleveland and Kansas city. Like, and even then, boy, it's close. It's really, really close. Um, God, yeah. I think about it. Who would I want between Cleveland, Casey and Baltimore? I think it's, Ooh, and this is actually a really hard question. I don't know how to answer that. Yeah, and the Bengals defense would like a word <laughs> because I mean they're they're the, close, but like in terms of pass rush, I would probably say Baltimore. In terms of coverage, I would say Cleveland. In terms of just diabolical fucking nonsense that gets dialed up on third down, <laughs> give me Spags. But boy, that's a really tough question. I'd love for people in the comments to to say who they prefer because like they're all right there with each other. Yeah, I would agree, and it's so fun to watch all four of them because they're not the same, and they do it in different ways, and we just talked about the way Vic Fangio did it, and he does it in a different way still, so you can sort of pick your flavor here and go, man, they're all great. Like, I love everything on the menu. I want to see it. Picking this sort of preeminent or most dangerous, most dominant defense right now, it's hard not to pick the Ravens for that category. It could well be Cleveland, but in terms of complete smothering of every attempt in terms of quality teams like you said it's not like oh they just missed it right well the pass rush was getting there but they had a guy open no the pass rush was getting there and there was nobody open and that's throughout the game the consistency is ridiculous i was looking for it ben Solak posted something about uh i believe it was defensive epa and the current Ravens unit has the second best one since the stats were recorded in 2000. And that was the 2000 Ravens. <laughs> the only better team was the 2000 Ravens than the 2023 Ravens. Like we're talking about rare, rare air here in terms of defensive performances. Like you said, it. I think it gets overshadowed. I don't think it should get overshadowed anymore. It's awesome. Mike McDonald's going to be a head coach. Okay. Like all, all you, all you fans that are listening to the show that are probably going to be hiring a new head coach next year, like Mike McDonald's going to get interviews. Like you have to get familiar with this defense because 
there is no way Baltimore is able to keep him as a DC for more than either this year or next year. Like he's, he's not going to be there very long. And I mean, he's gone up against the, the lions and Ben Johnson, and he's gone up against, you know, Shane Waldron. Both of those guys are getting nods as offensive head coaching candidates in this next cycle. He literally put his thumb on the head of both of them. And it's really, really impressive in terms of if, if they're the best that's being offered up as the top of the crop and they are make no mistake, they're going to get interviews. They're probably both going to get jobs. Ben Johnson, I would say is definitely getting a job. Waldron might, I'd call him more of a dark horse candidate, but he's going to get real interviews for sure. Mike McDonald didn't blank both of them, but he came about as close as you can come in the modern NFL to doing that with the rules, the way they are. The Ravens defense right now is I would not, you could give me an all pro team and I wouldn't feel great about my chances to put points on that defense. Well, from one future uh, defensive head coach in McDonald to two current defensive head coaches, Tampa and Houston. EJ, I'm wearing this hoodie for a reason. Hell yeah, you should be, dude. CJ fucking Stroud, man. Like, we we already knew he was great. We already knew he was probably going to be Offensive Rookie of the Year. We already knew that Texas got a quarterback. What I didn't know is that he was already going to be a top eight or nine quarterback in the league. Like, that's what he is right now. Like, for for a, a, a guy in his eighth career start to go 30 of 42 for 470, five touchdowns against a team that was, A, the sixth best scoring defense in the entire NFL, and B, the best red zone defense in the entire NFL. Like, Tampa was number one in the red zone with a bullet, like more than Cleveland, more than Baltimore, more than like name the defense. Tampa was better in the red zone. And when we were previewing this game, like that's what we talked about was like how batshit insane they are and, and how aggressive they are and, and how physical their corners are in the red zone. Like when space is compressed, they just beat you up. And then in comes CJ Stroud, you know, uh, with, with no kicker. Like we got, we got running backs kicking field goals because Kaimi Fairburn was, was ruled out the half. We have, uh, you know, we have a, a, a young offense that has to go for two every single time in the second half because they literally can't kick extra points. Um, you know, we got Baker Mayfield throwing bombs to Mike Evans and doing his own heroics to put them in a position where they're on the 25 yard line with 46 seconds and down by four. And you're like, ah, well, you know, CJ had a great day. Get him next time. Baker Mayfield just did Baker Mayfield stuff. No. He drove down the field and scored. <laughs> like with 46 seconds to go. Who does that? Not a rookie. Like rookies don't do this. This was one of the best quarterback performances ever. Like not just rookie, but ever by anyone. So yeah, he's already a top eight or nine quarterback in the league. And he still hasn't even hit his peak. Like when Josh McCown... Um, you know, speaking of underdog, we are sponsored by underdog fantasy. You go on the underdog fantasy YouTube channel back before Josh McCown took the Panthers quarterback uh, coaching position in the spring. Um, he did a breakdown of CJ Stroud, like pre-draft breakdown of CJ Stroud. And he said he was Joe Burrow. Yeah. I think Josh McCown was right. And uh, I'm sure 
I'm sure there was a lot of reasons why the Panthers picked Bryce Young. I mean, hell, even I had Bryce as my 1A. But you can't tell me there's a lot of people in that Panthers building, probably Josh McCown included, that are watching what Stroud's doing every week and saying, damn, damn, we we had a shot at that, and and we didn't take him. There's one person in that Panthers building that didn't want to take C.J. Stroud, and that's come out, you know, hindsight being what it is, sure, but... Again, even in the weeks leading up to the draft, I was sure that Reich was going to take Stroud. And then we started to hear all the whispers out of the building. And I wasn't sure who it was. I was pretty sure it wasn't Reich because he seemed very much like a Stroud guy to me. But talk about the general manager. You talk about their owner. And sounds very much like at this point, the owner wanted Bryce Young. So in terms of the Texans, better lucky than good. Yep. Uh, Because the Texans also had Bryce rated higher too. And I... And I actually think Bryce would be doing better, certainly with Bobby Slowick as his offensive coordinator. We can talk about that later, but let's just talk about Stroud at the time. We don't need to diminish this in any way because it is a sterling achievement. And CJ went completely off. This is a shelf-moving performance like you talked about. We talked about him as a good rookie. We talked about him as maybe the best rookie in this class or one of the best young quarterbacks, which is, you know, two to three year quarterbacks in the NFL. This takes him from good rookie starter status to he's a QB you can win because of mm-hmm. not in spite of or not with, but because of, and that is a shelf moving game. That is a marked game that we will look back at and say, remember when he did that, he went from like, Oh yeah, he's good. And we got to pay attention to him to Oh, we got to try and stop this guy. And that is a completely different thing. I talked about Bobby Slowick. He needs some serious praise. The Texans offensive unit has some really good talent, but I don't think anybody is looking at the Texans offense right now outside of Stroud and saying, Oh, that's a dominant unit. The top three receivers, Noah Brown, Dalton Schultz and tank Dell, who's a rookie. And we'll talk about Dell. But they dominated the Bucks in total yards, almost 500 to 332. Through the air, they won 443 to 251. Dell duplicated his red zone dominance. Like, he was the guy on that last drive. He was, that was it. It was the CJ to tank Dell, two big throws and a touchdown. We're starting to see this come together, but CJ is clicking. Like you said, Baker throws that absolute dot to Kate Otten. 46 seconds left, and you go, oh, man. This has been a great back and forth game and we undersold it. We said we thought it would be even. We thought it would be fun and two teams that really weren't going to be there at the end of the year. We undersold this game by a mile and the Bucs hand it back with the lead to the Texans and CJ Stroud. You go, oh man, that kind of sucks. He had a great day. He's not going to get the dub. (laughs) Holy (laughs) crap. What are we talking about here? And what we were talking about is a really, I think, a career turning performance. It was already on the way up. This is where the sort of hockey stick goes into overdrive and you go, holy crap, that's different. And it's the way that he's doing it. It's not that he did it. It's his demeanor when he's running the offense. He is not panicked. He was never panicked at Ohio State either. This is not something new for him. He was probably the most middle-of-the-road quarterback in terms of reactions of all the top quarterbacks in this draft. Mm-hmm. Never got too high when things were great. Never went in the tank when they were behind, if they ever were. They weren't a lot. But he was just same as his throwing motion. 
doesn't change a lot. It is machined. He looks like a pitcher, right? It's all about mechanics and timing. And last drive didn't look any different than the first drive. That's rare. That's weird. That's not supposed to happen. This is a shining moment for CJ Stroud and the Texans. Uh, I also uh, will say I'll, I'll take the L on, on tank Dell. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, my problem, my, well, I don't want to say problem. I my know. concern with tank was not about, can he get open? Can he catch the ball? Can he score? That was all like, yeah, duh. Of course. Like watch the tape. He's open all the time. You get like 18 touchdowns in the red zone. Like, you, yeah, he's going to get open. My concern was, can he hold up at 166 pounds? I think it was. He got blasted a couple times in this game and popped right back up and was totally fine, even at his frame. And he's put on like a little bit of weight since Houston, but not, he's not like 185. You know, he's still, no, still small. And, you know, my concern was, is like, hey, is it going to be like another Jalen Waddle type thing where like Jalen Waddle's super explosive and really good, but boy, he gets dinged up quite a bit. Nope. Like this dude's made of adamantium or something because he got rocked multiple times in this game and was fine. So again, I'll take the L on tank Dell. Apparently he just completely defies the laws of physics, uh, but he's still really good at separating. And were it not for CJ Stroud being on his team and being the one throwing him the ball, he'd probably be right in the mix for rookie of the year in zone, right? Like that's how impressive he's been. So again, uh, tank Dell, if you ever randomly happen to see this, I'm sorry. I questioned your size. Uh, and, and EJ was right. You are, you are really, really, really good at football. Yeah. I told you not to, but I only told you not to in the middle of my process because we all get introduced to these prospects at different times and in different ways. And tank Dell, I had, you know, on my sort of summer scouting form, man, this guy's super productive. Yes. Obviously the size comes up first. And I just had a, sort of held that until about mid college season. And then I, did my first like, okay, I got to look at this guy I came down to him in my rankings. And I was like, all right. And I came away with a completely different opinion. And I remember having a conversation with you and saying, I undersold this guy. He's way more than I thought he was. I thought he was good. He's actually great. And everybody's going to get hung up on the size. He got blasted at Houston too. Everybody says, oh, I don't play defense, blah, 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 blah. He, he got shot plenty of times in that offense because he was the number one focus and they threw to him all the time and at all levels of the field, they threw him underneath stuff. They occasionally gave him jet sweeps or whatever else, but he took plenty of shots, but it was his ability to win decisively no matter where he was on the field, but especially in the red zone. He's just one of those guys that could crank it up. Like you said, led the nation red zone TDs. And I came away going, no, nope. He, he's not everything to everybody, but he's going to be really good, really quick for somebody that understands how to employ him. Luckily, he lands in Houston with a great young quarterback and a really good offensive coordinator that do understand him. And a little bit unlike JSN, they are using him to his full potential. So we're getting to see it. And he's living up to all of it. The toughness, the speed, the separation, the hands, the sort of I'll just call it the big time gene, right? I hate that because it sounds like you're just stat watching. But when you watch the film, he rises at those moments. He very rarely does not come through in the clutch. And it's so much fun to see. On the other side, um, I, I do want to have a, a quick 
uh, side note on Baker Mayfield. He played well in this game. He played really well in this game. Like he, he put them in great. position to win. <laughs> they put yeah. up 37 points. <laughs> like, yeah. And awesome. with 46 seconds, you walk off the field, your team has a lead. You're like, sweet guys, I delivered. And you did. I mean, he did everything he could. He didn't play defense. So I really do think that uh, Baker is playing well enough this year that they're not going to be close to getting a pick that is high enough to get Caleb or Drake mate. Like they're going to finish in the middle of the pack probably. And Baker's played well enough that I, if I was them, I don't know if I would feel a huge sense of urgency to give up three first round picks to, to go up and get Drake may. I would, I would kind of rather replenish, um, you know, replenish the cupboards at positions of need and increase depth and, you know, kind of build around Baker and try to see if he can be their Kirk cousins, you know, like I, the, I really do think that the Buccaneers with like a little bit more talent in the NFC could be a playoff team, but if they give up a whole bunch of assets to go up and get a young quarterback, I don't know if they'll have enough assets to then, build around that young quarterback uh, and and develop him prop. So it's kind of like a, you know, damned if you damned if you don't type thing, but like Baker's been good enough that I don't, I don't feel a sense of urgency to, to go up and and do the kind of trade that the Vikings were trying to do for Anthony Richardson. We're giving up like three ones and two twos. I don't think they need to do that. Um, and not to mention, they're probably not going to outbid the giants anyway, because good Lord <laughs> giants are a mess. So they might as well just lean into Baker, you know, just take Malik neighbors and just laugh their way to the bank. Like that's, that's my plan of action. If I was the bucks, what say you before this season, I would have said, eh, he's good enough to get him through, but you do have to look at a quarterback at some point. And yes, when you take a young quarterback, it resets your window. We all know that rookie quarterbacks are not going to be competing for the most part for division leads or deep in the playoffs. That's, Highly atypical. It almost never happens. So it basically just adds a year to your development. And then you've got to look at your defensive stars on that team aging out by the time you're relevant and you start the whole cycle over again. As well as the sort of mind meld between Dave Canales and Baker Mayfield's work, I'm like, I'm with you. It's work like this is workable. They're putting up enough points to win. They could use some other pieces. And you start thinking about, hey, instead of trading up, for the exorbitant cost, there's there's sort of two avenues I would look at here. There's a lot of quarterbacks in this draft, more than will be drafted high that could be good. And again, Baker gives you a perfect bridge, a competitive bridge, while one of those quarterbacks in the fifth or sixth slot in this draft who are typically down in the third or fourth rounds, who could still be in the top of the second round. That's how talented this quarterback draft is. Maybe you grab one of those stick and pick, right? You don't give up anything extra. I would, I would say that's a decent succession plan for the bucks or you even trade down, right? Somebody else has somebody they want to come get and they want to give you an, another high two or, you know, depending on where you finish a, a late one for somebody that they really think they got to have at your pick, be open to it, right? We go down 10 spots. We build around a workable quarterback for now. And we try and make one more run at it because this is a competitive football team that is playing smart and efficient offensive football, but is just a few pieces short. And I'm with you. You get those pieces, 
maybe you put a run together. It's really going to shed light on how their GM and their ownership sees the situation and what they're willing to accept going forward in terms of a building strategy. But Canals has made Baker good Baker far more than bad Baker, and that's workable for Tampa Bay. Uh, keep it in the NFC, fourth game on the docket. Cowboys-Eagles. This was a big one, big, big one. Uh, Cowboys really needed it to try to keep pace for potentially trying to make a run for the first seed, let alone the division, ended up falling short um, by literal inches. Like when we talk yeah, about football, like, it's a game of this inches. Short. Oh, <laughs> and it was like man. three times too. Like you look at yeah. uh, the, the Ferguson TD that wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. he's like six inches short in that one on fourth down. Um, Dak stepping out early again, you know, your foot's three inches to the left and, and you're in, and then you convert for two, and then you only need a field goal, and you don't need a touchdown on the last drive. Uh, you know, you have CD getting tackled short. Like, Cowboys, they came up short barely in so many ways. And there's there's a lot of Cowboys fans this morning that are just feeling sick because they're like, God, like, we could have had that. We should have had that. Like, honestly, like, if you're looking at, at a lot of the metrics you're like yeah the cowboys probably should have won that game but at the end of the day if you're not perfect against the eagles jalen hurts will kill you with incredible deep accuracy down the sideline that that gorgeous td to devonta um you know their pass rush eventually will get home you know, Reddick got pressure. We saw, you know, old man Brandon Graham make some plays late. We saw Jalen Carter get pressure. Like, even with all the flaws of the Eagles, which we will get into, and they are a very flawed team in a lot of ways, you still have to play perfect against them or the things that do work in their favor, i.e. Jalen Hurts, their defensive line, and their receivers will just gut you. And unfortunately, Cowboys got gutted. I'll start with Dak because it was a literal game of inches and it really could have gone the other way. And I'm with you. There are a lot of Cowboys fans out there that are completely sick about this one. I know it's cold comfort. I get it, but you shouldn't be. Dak was good enough to win this one. We just talked about Baker being good enough to win that one for the Bucks. He was easily good enough to win this one. 374 yards and three TDs. And it could have been more. Could have been four very easily against that defense is impressive. Dallas went toe-to-toe with one of the NFC powers and basically played him to a standstill and could have beat him if it was literally for a few inches either way on two or three plays. We said that Dallas had to match Philly's offensive energy with CD because he was their explosive guy. (laughs) They did that. Like CD went off 11 for 191. He didn't get the score at the end, but again, what more do you want a receiver to do than 11 catches and almost 200 yards? Dallas just couldn't score after the half. They came very, very close a couple times. We highlighted those literal inches, but they couldn't do it. They only tallied two field goals after the break. That speaks a lot to both defensive adjustments by the Eagles. Luck, absolutely. Dak stepping out by half a foot. Ferguson not being able to rotate his body on the way down. Like these are the closest of margins. But if you're a Dallas fan this morning, don't feel bad about what your team did. Your team did great. Was it enough? No, Philadelphia is a great roster run by good coaches. Very, very good coaches. 
and they can win even when things aren't perfect. And that's what happened. We watched it play out. And Dallas has been such a roller coaster. They highlighted this at the beginning of the game and it blew my freaking mind. Dallas up until this game had experienced one lead change. I didn't even think that was possible. I They said that and I was like, <laughs> that's got to be wrong. No, I double checked it by the way because I I I didn't I, think there I was any way. I was like, "There's no way that's possible." And I went back, and it's like Dallas wins big when they win; they get out in front and they don't give it up, or they lose big when they lose. They start behind and they never never flip flop it. Now they did. The second one came in the second, and the second lead change of their season came in the second half of game nine. Like that's crazy talk. That's it's just nuts, but Dallas has found a stride in the last couple of weeks. They've strung together good games. Dak is playing extremely good football, better than a lot of folks that are being mentioned before him in terms of who are the top quarterbacks in the league. And, you know, Micah played like a star. He had a lot of good rushes in this one. Wasn't enough. And neither team had an interception in 67 passing attempts. Well, that Which, doesn't really surprise me for for Philly, honestly. I mean, God, they will let's let's ugh. talk about their corners. But we had been talking about Deron Bland, who played pretty darn well against AJ. I mean, as well as anybody's played against AJ lately. Uh, but no picks in this one again speaks to both Dak and Hertz being careful with the ball and just how tight the game was. Like, could an interception have turned this game? Probably would have. I mean, we came down to inches and you know one score. It late again, just seeing if Dallas could turn the tides in the last few seconds and Philadelphia grenading, which we can talk about later. And they just they just took turns grenading. <laughs> like, oh, you have the game. Oh, no, no, no I insist. Philly's you can like, have it. <laughs> hey, we'll just hand this one to you. I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> Allow us. It's so <laughs> strange at the end of the game, but let's talk about Philly a little bit because I, I just wanted to start with Dallas. I know there's a lot of hurting Cowboys fans out there, and a lot of times you deserve to be hurting Cowboys fans because the hype certainly outpaces the reality here. I think the reality is probably going to outpace certainly all the message on Sports Talk Radio in Dallas this morning. You know, I think when it comes to to Philly, a lot of the good things are the same good things that we've talked about uh, throughout the year. AJ Brown is incredible. Devonta Smith would be a one on a lot of teams, and he just happens to be the two in Philly. Jalen Hurts is just nails. Like he is, he is so good under bright lights. You know, um, you know, even even with uh, a, a, a banged up knee, which I don't think we ever heard what was going on with that um well i know he's dealing with something (laughs) well he tested it a couple of weeks ago in the game and then put on a brace in the second half and i i just want to say this about hurts in general but last night really highlighted it he is a quiet badass like after that game he said literally he said i'm fine like they asked him about they're like hey man you were limping around a little bit you put on a brace like what's going on and he literally said I'm fine. He was wearing the brace at the start last night and his freaking knee got caved in. His He took a shot directly to the side of his left knee and it caved on the replay. I was like, oh, and he limps. He took a while to get up. 
He limps, but he doesn't limp off the field, so he doesn't have to miss a down. He just kind of circles around, mm-hmm. right? They call it timeout. And then he goes back out and throws absolute dots in a game against their biggest division rival that is huge standing-wise. NFC East game, basically a two-for-one. Eagles win this. They're well on the way to winning the division. Like, Jalen Hurts is just such a badass. Never says anything about it. Super quiet. We've seen him in person. Like, I I was even thinking about that ad he's got, right? The Hulu has live sports ad, Mm -hmm. right? Like, the sum total of his lines in that ad are, guess so. And (laughs) I got you. Like, that's all they could get out of him for a spot that stars him as the pitch man. Like, that's how quiet he is. But when the bright lights are on, when the big games come, that throw to Devonta, best throw of the week. Like, in terms of just pure beauty from, like, quarterback to receiver, small window, perfect placement, awesome timing. Like, it's a gorgeous throw. And, again, we might look at that and go, I don't know, that's kind of routine. It's not a circus schedule. It's routine for him. So beautiful. And if you look at it from the end zone all 22 angle behind Hertz, he's throwing to nothing. There's a sliver in the end zone. The guy's covered, and it's perfect. He puts it on his chest between his numbers in stride. Like, gorgeous, gorgeous throw. Jalen Hurts, probably not going to get the recognition he deserves because he's so quiet, but make no mistake, he's the straw that stirs the drink in Philadelphia. I just know after the season we're gonna we're gonna see some report of like Jalen Hurts gets surgery to fix the torn X, Y, and Z that he played on since like week four. And all of us are gonna be like, how how was he even walking, let alone throwing dots like that and going on playoff runs? Like he's just insane, man. He's insane. The first replay I saw, I was like, oh, he just got he got tapped in his knee. Right. It, it's and, the one from in front of him where you see the knee bend. And I was like, oh, God, uh, he's done. Like, he, I, I thought he was done, honestly. I was not expecting that. I don't tend to watch injury replays. I've seen plenty of people get torn up. I don't need to see it anymore. And I was just like, Ooh! <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, God, no wonder he took, you know, 30 seconds to get up and limped around. He's definitely going to have to take a he's he's not taking any plays off. Like, and then he played at a ridiculously high level. It's like pure will. It's unbelievable. That's why you don't skip leg day, kids. Strengthen the <laughs> leg so that the ligaments survive. That's why you do all the squats. I guess. Um, all right. Enough nice things about Philly. Let's talk about the things that I really hate. Um, we, we've talked about it multiple times over the last month or so of like, uh, I think Philly's got a coverage problem. This game confirmed it. Philly absolutely has a coverage problem. They are scared to death of of playing man coverage. And even when they do play man coverage, they have to call one double because against a true number one receiver like CD, they don't trust their guys to hold up. They can't play one rat. They can't play one cross. Like they can't play one dog. They, They are playing one double. We are dedicating our safety to 88. Everybody else, you gotta like you gotta you gotta survive somehow. But even yep. then, they couldn't survive. Like Ferguson was tearing him up. You know, um, even Gallup as as not great as Gallup has been this year. Like Gallup had a couple catches in this one. Like they just can't play man. Um, they don't they don't have the gas in the secondary to do it. And against a team like let's say you know. 
Eagles are going up against uh, uh, Cincy right now. Good God. Like, yeah, no. even if you call one double on Jamar, like, what are you going to do about T? What are you going to do about Boyd? Like, they're screwed. You know, it's no wonder that you go back to the, the Minnesota game when you have uh, uh, JJ and Addison and Hawkinson and Osborne all on the field where they got torn up by Kirk. It's like, they can't fucking cover. Like, they, they, can, they can get by against teams that have one threat, but against teams that have two threats, like, they're screwed. They, they have to entirely rely on their pass rush getting home because their DBs can't hold up down the field. Like, they just can't do it. Like, Slay and Bradbury, I love them. They, they played great for a long time. The age is showing. Like, the age is absolutely showing. Like, they had five DBs. Literally, their entire starting nickel package, individually, each gave up 50-plus yards. Like, this is bad, DJ. It's really bad. It's, it's not good. You know the vampire movies where the hero finds the, like, stash of eternal life and, like, smashes it, <laughs> yeah. and then the vampire, like, melts into dust? Like, <laughs> that's happening before our eyes to the Philadelphia cornerbacks, especially the outside ones. But they've also had injuries and rotated starters through. But, yeah, it's about pass rush right now. It is not about coverage. And the pass rush started out on fire. Son Reddick was abusing Terrence Steele, got a couple early sacks. Then if they run into a team with a really good offensive line, like the Dallas offensive line, Dallas offensive line bowed up through quarters two and three. There was no pass rush. <laughs> and then magically at the end of the game, out come the knives and here comes Brandon Graham and sack after sack and they close the game out. But like through that middle two quarters, they couldn't get home against a good offensive line for long enough, and their coverage was done from the start. Yeah, it's trouble right now for them. And I'm not sure how they solve it because I don't magically think those guys are just going to regenerate knee tissue and like get better. Honestly, beyond the, the coverage thing, one of, the, one of the, the problems that Philly was having against Dallas was Dallas has uh, – you know, you ever watch the old – like. Um, the old Batman show where Batman mm -hmm. has a gadget for everything and he's got anti-penguin spray. That's right. Well, Dallas has their own anti-penguin spray for Jalen Carter, and his name is Tyler Smith. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is one of the only games that the Eagles defense has gone up against an offense that actually has an answer for Tyler Smith one-on-one -on, -one, on both sides, whether it's Zach or, or Tyler. Uh, in the 24 individual matchups between Carter mm -hmm. and Tyler Smith, he allowed two pressures. And boy, that really showed uh, how how much they've relied on on Jalen Carter this year, disrupting things. Because the first time they went against an offense that could handle him one on one without just like sliding the center into him every single time, so that you know they 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 didn't have to dictate their protections around where Jalen was. The first time they went against an offense that did that, and you saw how much they struggled in terms of getting stops, like against teams that have a receiver like CD and that have an interior trio like the one they have, <laughs> Philly will will struggle. The list of teams that qualify for that is extraordinarily it's, short. It's, really small. It's, um, it's a narrow window, okay? But yeah. one of them happens to be in their own division, and they're going to have to play against them again this year on the road. And based on everything I saw in this game, honestly, I'm I'm not sure that Dallas won't win round two because they they came really really close here. 
Did you see the picture that got posted yesterday of uh, it was the leading three receivers from yesterday before the Sunday night game? Uh uh-uh. uh. It was CD, Noah Brown, and Amari Cooper all in their Dallas. Oh, uniform. no. <laughs> Just twisting the knife. <laughs> it reminds me of all those Alabama photos of like all four of these quarterbacks were in the room at the same time. All four of these running backs were in the room at the same time. That's good. I was like, oh, oh, yeah. How about them apples? All right. Last, uh, last game, Bill's Bengals. Um, I want to 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 start off with a statement. Sure. I don't know what the problem is yet, but I'm going to find out. Okay, because I've been compiling all these stats about how you know the Bills are are top five in EPA and how you know even going back to week five when they're kind of like win one, lose one, win one, lose one slide started, you know, they're they're top three in play success rate, but 25th in terms of drive success rate how is it even possible to have a top three play success rate but score on 25 percent of your drive like how is that even remotely possible i don't know i have to go back and dig through a lot of tape and especially a lot of uh situational football tape you know third down red zone stuff uh no huddle stuff like i need to figure out why this team is an analytics darling in almost every single way and why they can't score despite being an analytics darling i don't get it i i have to imagine the run game or lack of run game is a component they had eight designed runs or might have mm-hmm. been nine i know it was, it was eight. 10 it was eight. It's eight like the entire game the entire yep. like even like they didn't even it, it, it wasn't that they fell behind early and abandoned the run. They started out throwing like they didn't yeah. call their first run to like 30 seconds left in the first quarter. Like that was the game plan was we're not going to run. Yeah. And that's worked sometimes in the past, but it, we're in like year three or year four of this. And that's been a consistent problem is the fact that they're not balanced at all. And they rely on Josh doing everything. And we've talked about it over and over and over again. And all we keep hearing from the Bills coaching staff is that everything's fine and they're going to figure it out. They're going to go back to the drawing board. And then they don't. So I'm going to go and do like a heavy, heavy deep dive, ideally over the next week, and figure out where is the disconnect between analytics darling and being able to actually win football games. Because those two aren't matching up right now. Like the math ain't mathin'. I don't really know why yet, but I promise I will. I got two theories. One's complicated and one's really simple. And I'll start with the complicated one. Okay. And not super probable one, but because of their geographical proximity, since vampires are a theme, (laughs) the Pittsburgh Steelers are like vampirically siphoning (laughs) off all the good things from the Bills and winning games they shouldn't while the Bills are not winning games that they should. So that's the complicated and not very likely one. But it came to me last night and I was like, who's the opposite of that? I was like, oh, the Steelers. Oh, they're right next to each other. Have to look into that one for next week. But this one is much more simple. It got said this morning. And since I saw it, I can't unsee it. And just a warning, you won't be able to either. Ross Tucker, your buddy, said this morning that the Bills are the Dallas Cowboys of the AFC. And I can't. 
unsee it. Oh, in the sense of when Results. when when what they do works, it really really works. And when what they do doesn't work, they don't know what else to do. Yes, and in terms of the perception of the Bills is this. And the actuality of the Bills for the last few years has been this down here. Like it's not awful, then. but it's not that shining like it should be, as you said, with analytics and the eye test and Josh Allen and whatever. But in terms of the levers that are getting pulled, like it Bills fans will and do tell us all the time, uh, you know, that this team isn't what it seems like. And at this point, like, I think we have to believe them like they're right. I I will say this. So Bills and Cowboys play each other on December oh, 17th. No. The okay. streams are going to cross. <laughs> but if they played tomorrow, like I would take the Cowboys. Oh, in a heartbeat. I don't like, think he not was talking. Ross was really wasn't talking about like where these two teams are right now in terms of talent and matching up. He was really like every year the Cowboys hype is unmistakable, right? This is the year for the Cowboys the talent, whatever. And they don't quite make it like historically don't quite make it. Haven't done it in a long, long time. The bills, it's a much shorter window of that hype being high, really about three years at this point. And the delivery I don't know. It feels a little bit to me like it peaked last year. And we said this in our preview episode and everything else really felt like they were the number one in bootleg power score, like by with a bullet, like they were the best team on both sides of the ball last year. It really feels like that was their chance. It didn't work out. Key injury, one and done in the playoffs. That's the way a single elimination tournament works that the NFL has. And this year, it feels like they're struggling to even regain the ability to work themselves back into that. And they're playing, they're not rallying. They had that up and down last year. They started off great. Then Josh got hurt. They didn't play well for a while. And then it balanced out and they started playing better. And then Josh got healthy again and they started playing worse this year. Literally they said both Josh and McDermott said, that's not the plan we went in with when reporters asked him after the game, like, Hey, why didn't you establish the run? Like why? And they were like, what do you mean? It's not, not the plan. Like, they, they were, they didn't run at all in the first it's, drive. What are you fucking it, talking about? It's <laughs> like Canada saying, we're not built to come from behind. Well, you mean if you give up a field goal, you're going to lose the game. Like it's just not something you say it's nonsense. Like I, that might've been the plan, but did you ever think that maybe you were going to do something else? It's just a very weird team. It They, again, kind of like the Seahawks, ran into a team that is just clearly better than them right now. And it showed. Like, you never really felt like the Bills had a chance in this one. It always felt from very early on, I would say, easily middle of the second quarter on, that they were chasing the Bengals were leading and the Bengals were just going to slowly press their foot onto the neck. And that was going to be that on the other side of things, uh, the Bengals are a team that, uh, you know, they've been peaking up and up and up and up and up over the last three weeks or so as Joe obviously is, is fully healthy now. And so we've kind of seen the Bengals get back to being quote unquote, the Bengals. Um, I still feel like there's a little bit, 
more room for them to put the gas pedal down even further than they already have. Like even as good as the Bengals are right now, and, and it's inarguable that they're playing like a top three team in the AFC right now. I still feel like there's a little bit more room uh, for them to, to ascend. Like I, I feel like um, other than Cam Taylor Britt, uh, you, you know, DJ Turner's had his moments, but other than Cam Taylor Britt, I feel like the corners have been uh, up and down. I feel like, uh, you know, the pass rush, like Hendrix, Hendrickson's been great, but I still feel like everybody else on the pass rush has been highly inconsistent. Like, I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that it's a similar situation to Philly where I'm like, oh, they can't cover. I'm saying I know on paper what this Bengals defense could be. They're already playing really, really well. I still don't think that we have seen them at their peak defensively. And once they do get there, again, other than Baltimore and other than, I I, I guess, Kansas City, if they could figure out their receiver situation, uh, a, a Bengals team at their absolute peak right now, I'm not sure if anybody in the AFC could beat them other than those two other contenders. And they're still not there yet. So again, they are moving in the right direction, uh, which is where you want to be going as we get into the back half of the season. And by the time we get to January, I feel like the Bengals are going to be well-equipped to make a run because Lou's going to figure it out. But yeah, defensively, like they're almost there, but they're not quite there, which is saying a lot because they're already really good. It's hard to say that they're not quite there for me because Lou has been pitching really good games all year. He's one of the sort of three defensive coordinators we look I'd say four defensive coordinators we look at right now between Cleveland, Cincinnati, Baltimore. Crazy fact, they're all in the same division. <laughs> ah! That's I know. nuts. Like, and there's a couple other contenders, but he has been consistently putting his talent in the best possible positions and really making it hard for other offenses. In fact, for the first month, Bengals wouldn't have won any games if it wasn't for the defense because the offense was really limping along, but we've talked about it. Joe is completely back. He had that look in his eye from early on that look that we've known since LSU, where he was just like, Nope, we got their number. This one's ours. They did really, they being Buffalo did a really good job shutting chase down. Chase has been ascending again. We've talked about the long ball to chase problem was probably one of the best one A's in the league besides Devonta Smith showed up. T. Higgins was T. Higgins again for the first time all year. Blew their doors off. Eight catches for 110. And when that wasn't working, and this is why I feel probably the best about the Bengals, is they're adapting. So when that wasn't going, they magically just decided to feature the tight ends. They threw to all three of their tight ends, to whom they haven't thrown anything all year pretty much. They threw them each three balls, and they were super impactful. Like all three of their tight ends had three receptions apiece. They haven't touched the tight ends all year long. And they were like, well, again, if you're going to leave those open for us, we're going to take them. If you don't have Matt Milano in the middle of the field, we're going to take advantage of you. And teams that can do that are going to adapt to the challenges they face down the stretch. And the Bengals feel like they are hitting their stride. They've got answers on both sides of the ball. And if they stay generally healthy, they're going to be incredibly tough to beat AFC or NFC all the way to the playoffs. 
we are going to see the current version of the Bengals go against the current version of the Ravens in two weeks on uh, yep. <laughs> a Thursday night game. Yeah. So talk about great Thursday streams for us. Now Ravens got to get through the Browns first. And I can't remember who the Bengals play this week, but like it's there, there's still tough tests to go for each team. But um, I feel like that, that particular TNF <laughs> game in a couple weeks is, is probably a playoff preview. Bengals Texans, by the way, is that this week? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> CJ Stroud's gonna have to cape up again because <laughs> there ain't no way we're stopping Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Like this defense is good uh, in Houston, but like, let's let's be realistic. Like, ain't no way. Uh, so uh, they're they're. Oh man. <laughs> I, I... That's that's gonna be a hell of a game. Like that's yep. really gonna be a hell of a game. I again fully don't expect Houston to win that one at all. Um, but if we can just not get embarrassed, I'll take that as a win. I would say that is a fair mark against a team that is playing, like we said, at the top of their powers. They really are at the height of the NFL. They're one of four or five teams that's playing the best football in the entire league right now. They're elite. So yeah, if you can hang with the elites or scare them a little bit, like, that's great. If they pull one off against the Bengals, like whatever we're hearing this week about CJ Stroud is just going to be like straight to 11 through the PA. Like it's going to be real loud real quick. Uh, all right. We're going to get out of here. Uh, we have a lot more Bengals and Ravens and Bills uh, to talk about. And really every team that we talked about today, we're probably going to be bringing them up in the preview episode. Uh, for this coming week as well. So make sure you come back on Friday for that as we look ahead to week 10. Uh, also make sure you come by on uh, Thursday this week. Actually, who is the... <laughs> Panthers, Bears. Oh, God, that's right. Man, okay, going from Panthers, Bears on TNF to Bengals, Ravens is going to be fucking whiplash. Like, 100%. <laughs> that's about as low as it gets to about as high as it gets in the NFL. So um, I'll make sure to to keep the Malort flowing for this one. Mm. It's not going to be pretty, but uh, it might be the only thing that gets me gets me through it because I don't know if I want to watch this one sober. I don't know if anybody should watch this one sober. But uh, anyway, come back on Thursday for that stream. It's probably going to be a shit show, um, but it should be fun. Uh, once again, thank you to homage for working with us. This hoodie that I'm wearing, uh, with the Texans logo on it, the beautiful, glorious, uh, winning franchise Texans logo on it. Uh, you can find that at the link in the description below or really any team merch that you're interested in, regardless of your fandom, they have the NFL license. So they have, uh, literally every item you can think of for every single team. Um, it's great holiday gift if you're already looking ahead to that and everything that you buy from homage uh, we also get a cut of and pretty soon they will also carry bootleg merch which if you're a patron you can go vote on what the bootleg merch on homage will be over on the patreon right now uh, there's a lot of uh if i do say so myself very cool designs to choose from and we've gotten a lot of really good feedback on them so far so if you're a patron and you're listening to this Make sure to head over to the Patreon and vote. 
and the voting is extremely close right now. Uh, everybody likes all of it is my one takeaway so far with most of the votes counted. Today is the last day to vote this, this being Monday. Um, but yeah, uh, competition is intense. So your vote could very well matter. With that, uh, I'm not sure I have anything else for you. So we'll see you back here on Thursday. And until then, later.